And now we want to share something special with our listeners, introducing Lit and Lit Extra, the new hot sauce IEX just created. We're calling it the official unofficial hot sauce of the stock market. It's a perfect blend of spice and high performance flavor. You'll definitely want to get your hands on some. You can check it out at iextrading.com slash podcast to get your fix while supplies last or tag us at IEX and let us know how you like it. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. I'm here Boxes with JR. Boxes and Lines. God talking love you, John. Min quantity. <laughs> so today we're talking about min quantity. I'll explain what that is in a second. And we have two very special guests, uh, the IEX up-and-comers, rising stars. I think they're already risen above you and I, John, anyway. But we have well, Sean Spector. Well, certainly an intellect. I mean, Ron yeah. and I are just kind of like the pretty faces of the podcast. You know, we're we people, people, right? No we, you don't, you don't need doing. IQ. These people actually have their shit together. So we're... Um, <laughs> so yeah. we have Sean Spector from our business analytics team. And we have Tori Dewey from our business development team. And I'm going to introduce them in a second. But uh, min quantity is a really hot topic, has been for a number of years. And what that means in English for the non-traders is a lot of times people will put a minimum quantity on their orders, which means I will only interact with a contra order if they have an order size equal to or greater than the order size that I say. So I might say, I only want to trade with another order that's 1,000 shares or greater. I'll put a min quantity of 1,000 shares. But now there's like a lot of conversations always with clients both buy side and sell side asking, what's the optimal minimum quantity to use? And Tori and Sean have put together a series of three blogs that attempt to answer that. So welcome, Sean. Welcome, Tori. Thanks welcome, for having welcome. us. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> Very nice intro. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. JR, you're the, you're the face of the podcast, but it's it's radio, remember? No, <laughs> exactly. yeah, there well, you go. Right. Well, we've done. We nice, did Sean. One nice, Sean. Sean's coming out yeah, aggressive. Yeah, yeah. You're Tori, feel little, free to make fun of me. You're getting a little chippy of... there, Sean. Uh, just, you know, watch yourself. Um, <laughs> oh, oh he, 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 you struck a chord there. <laughs> He's got a face for radio, folks. John Ramsey. <laughs> so we, anyway, did do, we did one of them that was on uh, screen. We did that fucking habanero pepper thing. Which oh, yeah, was, that's that's true. By the way, we're was, not eating peppers again on no, our podcast. No, well, never maybe. again. I mean, that thing was friggin' insane. Um, yes. And it reflects a fairly sadistic streak by our communication staff, I think. John, I have to tell you, I was really impressed with how you handled those habaneros because... Thank you. Well, while we looked macho and tough like we normally do mm-hmm. on the screen, uh, <laughs> for about like an hour or two after that thing, I was bent over like, like someone had stabbed me. It was painful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so we're going to go to Tori first and get a little bit of background on the Minquant posts. Uh, maybe why in the heck they did it. Uh, Tori. Yeah, well, first of all, I'm surprised you let us do it because we came to you and I think you thought we were either like insanely nerdy or we're just going to spend this time like messing around, not working. Basically, we created this because we noticed that there were different trade sizes coming into IEX. And so Sean was worried that minimum quantity wasn't doing the job that it was intending to do. And so we wanted to so, break so this g- down. Tori, yeah. let me just ask you that for people who are not. Uh, Get as, used to being interrupted, by the way. Go, John. No, I, uh. <laughs> who are not as schooled as Ronan and I are. Um, it, just in a conventional sense, why would somebody uh, impose, put, put a minimum quantity on the size? 
you think people, uh, you know, generally, if they put an order in, they want to trade, they can trade anything um, they'd want to trade. Oh, that's why a, would you want, why would, what, why would anybody want to do that? A great question. So the conventional wisdom from what I understand, and I think Ronan or Sean might want to hop in. Sean actually has traded before and Ronan has been around for a while. So you guys might have a different answer on the conventional wisdom. Not an age joke. Not, not an age way. You've been age around the block. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think the main reason that people will put a minimum quantity on something is to kind of filter out the counterparties that they're dealing with and try to filter to trade with people or other counterparties that are like-minded. So there's a few different kind of outcomes that they're hoping for. And we dive into different outcomes in the blogs. But essentially, if you think about it, you, you want to, when you're executing a trade, you want to give away the least amount of information possible and you want to just be done with it. So, so if, you're, if you're representing an institutional order that has a fair amount of size associated with it and you're worried about speed traders that may be trying to sort of sniff out or, or put in small order sizes to figure out if there's somebody that's there. This, this could be a defense against that. that yeah, exactly. So okay. the idea being institutional buyers have a lot of size to move. Um, there's a lot of intermediators in the market uh, in terms of high frequency trading and market makers. Uh, you're trying to filter those out and find like-minded uh, counterparties. So therefore you can get the trade done uh, in the, quickest manner possible. So traditionally people use a high touch trading for that. So like tr block trading in, in traditional sense. And so like when the electronification markets happened, uh, people kind of brought that same wisdom to those markets and said, hey, if I'm gonna try to find them electronic markets, let's look for someone who's large in size and therefore that person probably also looks like me. So I think though, you know, cause that, that's been common intuition for a number of years. And I think your blog post kind of shone a light on Maybe that's not always the case where people will think uh, I'm a big institutional order and there's a negative connotation to trading against a bunch of smaller orders and it doesn't necessarily pan out to be the case. So I know you wrote three separate blogs, one on adverse selection, one on information leakage and one on opportunity costs. And I thought we'd uh, love those fancy words, by the way. And I thought mm -hmm. we'd go into mm -hmm. each of the three in this podcast because there, 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 there were some Frank, frankly, uh, as Tori called me out for being old, I've been around the block for quite a few laps, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I was surprised by these. Mm. Yeah. On the topic of surprising, uh, I think yeah. we'll get uh -oh. into our surprise segment. Um, so we figured <laughs> bing, 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 we'd bing. ask some questions of uh, Ronan and JR, because we yeah. get a lot of questions oh, from we're, them. We're, we're, we're really cool. taking advantage wow. of this. Turning we're, the tables, man. We are now guests on our own podcast. We Lines didn't see this coming. <laughs> So not only is it going to be fun to quiz you, but hopefully this is formative for uh, our guests as well. So first question is, they're all <laughs> pertain to odd lot rate. And so just for context, odd lot rate is if you looked at the number of trades that were odd lot in size divided by all trades in, in the market. So i.e. what percentage of trades are smaller than 100 shares? So the question is, first question is, what is the odd lot rate thus far in 2021, i.e. what is the number of, what percentage of trades are of odd lot size? Do you want me to take uh, so, a stab at so, it, John? Oh, I see. So basically you're just trying to make us look stupid, right? We're going to like get given well, an I answer think you're gonna that get is it. like, obviously, well, I don't know. Okay, okay. Ronan can go first on that one. I'm going to guess um, because in 2021, a lot of listeners will know there's been a lot of retail trading and retail trading tends to be smaller. 
So I'm going to say odd lot trading right now is probably 35% of all volume. Mm, that seems like a pretty good guess. Now, again, you're talking about the percentage of individual trades, right? It's just exactly. Not, uh, okay. You know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say, uh, I think it's probably more than that. I think it, <laughs> hey, listeners, know, I, I got to call say, fucking John out. He had no idea. And we were pointing up. <laughs> John, you just had to guess something higher than 35%. You didn't I have to say 45, gonna... 45. What do I put 45? That's so close. Yeah. JR is the closest. It's actually right. more than half. Uh, just by a smidgen. Wow. It's 50 yeah. uh, spot it's 1%. 50.1%. It's more than that. That's crazy. <laughs> that, that really is actually um, quite surprising. Listeners, I uh, I knew that. I just wanted to make John yeah, feel smart. Yeah. Question number two. Yeah. Question number two. Let's hear it, guys. So uh, in the spirit of what's going on uh, more broadly in the financial markets, uh, we thought we'd focus our attention on two meme stocks, AMC and GameStop GME. Uh, and the question is, this one's going to be hopefully a little easier, uh, is so the week of um, January 18th, which is before all the meme mania, mania took off, mm. uh, the odd lot rate in AMC and GME respectively were 29.3% and 54.7%. Uh, so if you just want to take a guess, so the first week of the ensuing mania, the 25th, what was uh, the odd lot rate that week? So Roman brought up an interesting point that odd lots are usually associated with retail trading. We know that retail trading became really, really big in these names uh, during that next following week. I guess, what magnitude do you think the increase was? Go, John. <laughs> <laughs> so you said, so uh, So the two were what? Uh, the prior week were? So the prior week for AMC was 30% and then GME was 54%. 54. Wow. That's, that's pretty. So I would think that the following week, given that the price was being driven so high, um, you talked about a lot of retail investors who, if they're going to invest, are going to necessarily um, almost have to buy in odd lots. So I would say in the first one, I would say maybe 60%, the other maybe 75%. Bingo. So AMC went to, uh, from 29.3 to 61.3 and then Whoa. GME went from 54.7 to 83.9 oh, so both massive increases I saw you googling that John I did that, not google it I gave he, my best guess he, he, he did the very, classic uh, could you well, ask the did, question you know, again while I search this never give me one picking bit of uh, praise uh, or well, well you did a good job googling so that was yeah. great thank you <laughs> the last one before we get into the blog series uh the question that probably is the best segue, given kind of the change in market structure over time. Um, we classify our members at IEX as either prop firms, full service broker dealers, agency broker dealers, and a few others. So the question is, um, for full service broker dealers, agency broker dealers, and prop trading firms, which subset of clients has the most odd lot trades as a percentage of all of their trades, i.e., which classification is most likely to trade in odd lots. So you're trying to lead us to say prop because that would be the intuitive answer. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go with full service broker dealers. I'm going to go with prop. <laughs> uh, uh, Ronan got it. <laughs> Ronan got it. Sorry, JR. Yeah, yeah, you, you... It was a good strategy though, JR. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it pays to be the boss. They sent me these questions before. <laughs> 
we actually did not full disclaimer. No, they did not. (laughs) Listeners, as we're talking a lot about odd lots, you've probably said that's an odd word. An odd lot, uh, when people talk about that in trading, just means number of shares traded less than 100. So if you send in 100 shares to buy a stock, that's called a round lot. Anything below 100 is called an odd lot. Well, I don't know, Ronan. I think if people are tuning into an episode about men, men quant, they probably know what a fucking odd lot is. But you know, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. I don't know. Do you know? Did you know that till I explained it, John? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. He's like, that was that was interesting. Yeah, that was. Interesting. Always found that All one right. odd. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay, let's go into the 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 first blog that you did. I I frankly found this uh, very interesting on adverse selection because. One normally thinks, once again, if you set a large min quantity, you're only going to trade with a larger counterparty, which usually you would assume is, you know, similarly situated firm to yourself if you're trying to um, block out um, being sniffed out on your order. But that doesn't always yield uh, the best result. What, what did your findings find on adverse selection? And maybe before you tell those findings, just explain what we consider adverse selection to be. We're an industry of crazy language. Yeah, we are an industry of crazy language. Like the stuff isn't that complicated, but the words we use make it sound so much more complicated than it is. Bingo. Um, mm. And it just overall, Sean and I have gone through this a lot with just our team and people. And the way that we generally operate is I say something and then Sean either waits me to finish or interrupts me and corrects it. So that's probably the dynamic. That so let's go. Let's do it that observe. way. <laughs> um, cool. So adverse selection is kind of a way to measure how good that the fill was on that trade. And what it looks at is kind of what happened to the stock moments after the trade was executed. And so one way that we kind of think about adverse selection is it's like a missed price improvement opportunity. So if you trade at 10 and one millisecond later, it goes down to 999. You just miss the opportunity of trading at a better price. And if this happens over the life of an order, you're going to see bad performance overall. And so generally adverse selection is something that people want to avoid in kind of like the trading world and trading lingo. But just the way that I think about it, like the simple way is if you trade and a second later, you, you could have traded at a better price, you got a bad fill. It's like, it's like you buying a house for a million bucks and then your neighbor buys a similar house for 900,000. It doesn't feel good, yeah, uh, especially these moments later. But but IEX, of course, has really pioneered among exchanges um, tools to protect people from uh, versions of adverse selection, right? That's kind of a big part of what we're about. No IEX plug. We're talking about min quantity. John. Well, you know, you got to get a few plugs in when you get a chance. I get paid by the plug. Take it to delimit. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so now, Tori, sorry that we all interrupted you. Um, Mm. Can you tell us a little about the Adverse Selection blog, series one of three? Um, Yeah. So when we, full disclosure, when we wrote this, and you can kind of tell when you read the series, we did it one at a time. So all of this data is what we were finding. We weren't trying to like make it fit a narrative, which is probably why the narrative is different throughout (laughs) the series. But we just tried to stay as true to the data as we could. Part one, the way that we think about adverse selection and how we're going to measure it is we look at something called markouts, which is another kind of crazy lingo term, but it's essentially just looking X amount of time after a trade occurred where the price went. 
So we measure the adverse selection of trades by trade size on IEX. And the really cool part of this, and I think why it was such a unique look from like our team is that as an exchange, we're able to see counterparty data because we're obviously looking at both sides of the trade because we're an exchange. And when we do this, we can start to see trends about contra size. So we can see basically if your markouts are getting worse, we can look at maybe there was a reason on the other side of the trade. Sean, what do you want to say? I can feel you wanting to say something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sean, Sean, Sean's face is pressed against the screen right now. He's ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Unleash the lion. Go. <laughs> we looked at markouts based on how large your counterparty was. So the key differentiation here is that at the exchange level, we can look at how large your counterparty is. So from if we didn't have the same vantage point, you would only be able to see how big your trade was. But if I bid 100 shares and someone sells me 100 shares, I don't actually know what the intention or supply of that seller was. Um, so what we're able to see is actually how much the person had to sell, even though I could only buy 100. So what we found was the larger the counterparty, i.e. the more supply they had, the worse the markout was for me, which makes sense. Because if I buy a stock at $10 and someone has a lot more to sell than I had to buy, the stock's ultimately moving towards me. Yep. And then ultimately... Uh, the conclusion we come to is that the larger the counterparty is, the more likely you are to suffer from adverse selection, which makes sense. And then the key is, how does that tie into min quantity? It ties into min quantity because using min quantity uh, filters out the smallest counterparties by design. But the problem is, if you filter out the smallest counterparties, you only leave yourself open to trading with the largest. Mm, and I'm gonna suffer from adverse selection because the counterparty is inherently larger than me, and I'm taking out the opportunity to interact with smaller counterparties. The only people that you're dealing with is people who can run over you. Or, yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Basically, so in those instances, you don't want to be first in line to trade because you know the person you just traded against has a lot more to do, and they're going to impact the stock, which is right. sort of which is very intuitive, by the way. However, when you think of min quantity and people talk about min quantity, there's always been this. Um, I guess, belief that you want to trade against people who are trading in size, but obviously it's never going to match up like a thousand shares to a thousand shares. You don't want to be the thousand min quantity buyer against a hundred thousand share seller because that hundred thousand seller has to sell a lot more and will cause the price to go down. So it is intuitive, but it's kind of funny uh, when you actually step back and look at it that way. So I, I, th I thought this blog in particular was really interesting in that regard because you could you should sort of expect it, but I find that a lot of times when you talk to institutional traders, they're always thinking they should step up their min quantity and not have a low min quantity like 100 shares or less. Yeah. I mean, looking at IXDA generally, it's kind of fascinating. It's very unlikely for two counterparties of the same size to match. There's usually always residual. So one size is one size always bigger than the other, which one may not understand unless they look at like a matching engine's data. Nice, which yeah. we can do. <laughs> Another part that's cool about this is I think there's a lot of kind of bias against trading with odd lots. And we looked at the data for that. And we saw that when you're trading against an odd lot, your performance is actually usually slightly better. And I think that's pretty far against the conventional wisdom because mm. that's usually what people are trying to filter out when they're using minimum quantity. That's a great point because that is the negative connotation of an odd lot. What, what, 
or, or is it fair to say that that has changed over time? And wh- why do you think that is? Like 10 years ago, odd lot, you were like, no fucking way, step away. Now it's different. Why, why do you guys think that's yeah. different? In- Take it away, Sean. <laughs> yeah. I think he had, I think he had his face pressed against the mic again, everybody. His hand was raised. His hand was yeah. against the mic. I love this yeah. shit. Um, I think there's two main reasons. One, uh, there's been a huge um, swing in stock price. The average stock price is much, much higher. So if we're talking about the same exchange of notional value, it takes fewer shares to do that. So simply, as notional value of stocks increases, the share value that would transfer the same amount of notional value decreases so now i can exchange the same amount of value with fewer shares than i could before so i think that's obviously a downward pressure on average trade size and i think the second aspect is there's been a shift generally to kind of uh schedule based strategies and i don't want to go into this but i know we have the father of the vwap on this podcast so <laughs> talking about vwap generally it's it's a variance-based strategy. So I'm trying to mimic a benchmark that exists in the market. And if I want to reduce my variance around that benchmark, I want to take more shots at achieving that benchmark. Therefore, I want to break up my trade into more and more unique separate trades. So I think that's the other aspect. That's great. And by the way, Jimmy Elkins was a great podcast. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that one. Uh, when you said like the, the Godfather of VWAP, I just thought of old school, the movie, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Godfather Okay, yeah. let, let's it's let's good. go to your let's go to your second blog in the series of three mm-hmm. uh, under the heading of like information leakage. Um, oh. may, maybe explain oh. a little bit about what, what we consider information leakage to be. And again, it was another one that when you read it, it, it it's like things become intuitive after you read something and someone informs you of something and it's less intuitive before it. Yeah, I think the information leakage one was interesting because I, without like a huge background in trading, that was always to me the intuitive reason you would use a minimum quantity. And information leakage is essentially the idea that every single like transaction in the marketplace leaves a small footprint or a little bit of data behind just by nature of the trade occurring. And so there is a way that you're leaving behind information that other people can pick up. And so if you're setting a high minimum quantity, the idea would be that you're only trading fewer times throughout the life of the order and you're only trading with a like-minded counterparty. And it's not someone who's intentionally trying to sniff out the information, but someone else that's also just trying to get their trade done. And so it, it made sense intuitively to me that that was why people would use a minimum quantity. But what we found was pretty interesting Um, So the way that we measured information leakage was looking at something called slippage versus arrival. So it's after, it's when you put your trade in, or sorry, you put your order in, it's what happened to the stock price until your last trade was executed. And what we would expect to find if minimum quantity was like doing its job is that the higher minimum quantity and the larger trade size throughout the life of the order, the better the slippage would be. But what we actually found was that there is an improvement of slippage when you go from zero minimum quantity to 100. But when you go above 100, there is no added benefit. And so the higher you get, you're actually not seeing any slippage improvement as you go higher. Sean, what? <laughs> no, Tori, Tori, that was actually excellently done, and I and I think it was done in English because uh, a lot of times in, in our language, I'm like, 
I totally yeah. get it. It's 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 mm-hmm. kind of like you, you put an order in at 10 a.m. and at 11 a.m. you want to see the impact that your ad order had over that hour. And again, one would think, uh, uh, again, I keep using counterintuitive, but you would think if you had a larger min quantity, you would be trading against larger orders that would have less of an impact on the price, meaning you entered at 10 a.m. and the stock was at $10 and you leave at 11 a.m. and it would, would not have moved it, whether you were the buyer or the seller, as much as it would when you interact with smaller orders. But it sounds like, and I, it reads like, because I read your blog, that that in fact is, is, is the exact opposite. So it's, that's really, really interesting. Again, I think it comes back to what Sean was saying before, that the dynamic of an odd lot sub 100 share order is very, very different in today's market than it was several years ago. And that's why I thought that this blog series, even if we at IEX wrote it ourselves, was uh, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think the intuition that trading fewer times results in less slippage makes sense and holds true. And that's something we've proven in our data. But what we find is that using min quantity as a way to manufacture fewer trades on your order by only limiting yourself to larger counterparties doesn't actually achieve the same goal. Um, and I think that's kind of the breakthrough that, that Tori and I found here. Interesting. Now, uh, obviously, this is all based on IEX data because that's the data that we have um, access to. Any reason to think that um, these uh, conclusions or patterns would be different if you were looking at other exchanges or, you know, uh, mining data elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, we obviously don't have data for other exchanges. We only looked at ours. But if you, in part one, we break down kind of the trade size by exchange type throughout the whole market. So just like overall, maker taker and all the different types. And mm-hmm. what we found is that our breakdown of trade sizes at the midpoint is, is a little bit different than others. And I think you can attribute that to the fact that we have like the speed bump and signal protections. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I couldn't say you could like extrapolate this market wide. I think that IEX probably does look a little bit different and you could like kind of a common feedback that I got from clients talking to them was that it probably looks different on IEX because we already have other protections in place. And so you don't necessarily need the minimum quantity protection where you might need that in other venues that are set up differently. Interesting. And then last but not least, John Ramsey, now last but not least, the third blog in the series, Opportunity Cost. Uh, Tori, can you talk us through uh, what Opportunity Cost means in industry parlance and kind of what, what we discovered? Yeah, so the way we thought about opportunity cost here is essentially part one and part two look at the benefits of using minimum quantity and part three looks at the risk of using a high minimum quantity. Um, And so opportunity cost is what we called it, but it's essentially how many shares did you not trade with because you had a high minimum quantity and just obviously the higher the minimum quantity, the more shares you're going to not with. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, correct. so like, like you're, you're in <laughs> saying I'll only trade with contra orders 500 shares or greater, mm-hmm. but you're missing out trading with a lot of people who had 400 shares to sell, 300 shares to sell, etc. Okay. Exactly. And so this again is something that we could look at because we were in exchange. We looked at when you had a trade in that's like a 500 minimum quantity, how many shares came in that you didn't interact with. And then we broke that down by how often did you miss 50% to 100% of your order? And how often did you miss over 100% of your order? And missing over 100%, we called kind of like severe opportunity cost. 
And what we found is that for, obviously if you have a minimum quantity of zero, you're going to get, a, you're not going to miss anything. And then when you have a minimum quantity of like 100 to 199, it was like you would miss, uh, you'd miss something. Like you would miss, I think it was like between like three and 5% for one look and a little bit higher for another look. But when you jump up to that 200 minimum quantity and higher, it goes up like five times what you're missing. And so yeah. the, the way we think about it is we've already kind of shown that you don't get a benefit from using a really high minimum quantity, but now you're seeing that just the cost is exponentially higher for almost no benefit. And that was like the kind of main finding we found throughout the piece. The, let me ask you a question then. So that, that, and that, that makes complete sense. And I'm kind of, frankly, I'm surprised at that you know, 200 shares and above that that small amount would have such an impact. That's that's pretty crazy. Um, the other thing is, do you, did you do any sort of analysis on? I'm sorry to put you on the spot, guys, but did you do any analysis on? <laughs> well, they put the, us on the spot. I that, that's right, John. That's true. Right. So, so, fair, so fair play. We're, 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 we're yeah. just fucking uh, we're flipping the table yeah. here. Uh -huh. um, did you do any analysis though on uh, based on the price of the stock, what the min quantity would be? Shit, they're nodding their head. They did. Okay, yeah. so there's an answer. Oh yeah, I'll think of something way. else. Answer this question. Yeah. I, that, I I knew you did. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. So th throughout the min quantity blog series, we actually cut everything by price bin because, to our point earlier, like stock price has a lot to do with the kind of the number of shares you have to transact in in order to get exposure, like notional exposure. So. Like what we find is in the highest price names, min quantity hurts the most. So it hurts the most from an adverse selection standpoint. It hurts the most from uh, information leakage, leakage standpoint, and it hurts the most from opportunity cost standpoint. So the lower the stock price, the more okay you are to use a higher min quantity. And the higher the stock price, the more it hurts. So that's what we found was the opportunity cost is much much higher to use a hundred min quantity, sorry, to use a 300 min quantity in a name like spy, because everyone in the world is going to be trading a $300 name and uh, shares less than 300. Cool. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, makes it's sense. very logical if you think about it, if you're trading a hundred shares of a thousand dollar stock, that's just like a huge amount of money versus that many of like a $1 stock. So that was why Sean thought to break it down by price. And then to answer your first question, really, like, why do we think there's such a jump from 100 to 200? Uh, I believe it's because everyone comes to IEX looking to trade 100 shares or somewhere between 100 and 200. So as soon as you move your main quantity from 100 to 200, you now exclude 90% yeah. of orders that are coming here to trade from broker dealers. So you're only limiting yourself to kind of the black small in the vent. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And, you know, not to talk our own book, but uh, John Ramsey's here. Um, I've always thought, like, we, we, have, we have all our safety measures. He just brings it out of me. Sale, sale, sale. But we have all these safety measures in place to protect investors. And I've always said to people, you come in and you put like a min quantity of 300 shares. What you do miss is the initial contra order testing against us with maybe 100 shares that would be willing to step up and trade more shares should you trade against them. And maybe there's some... You know, you've heard it here first if this product comes out, but like a smart min quantity where you say, hey, put your order in on IEX with a min quantity of 300, but it's a smart min quantity, meaning you have to at least trade one or two times with one contra at 100 and then step up to 300 or something like that. Uh, trademarked Ronan Ryan patent 101.9. <laughs> 
Sean doesn't Sounds like a good idea say. to me. <laughs> Thanks, Tori. They just, they, they, they look I love that, Ronan. I, I, I just muted Sean because he's shaking his head. <laughs> yeah. It's the yeah. latest product. New innovation on Wall Street. Okay, well, let's get that back to a serious question, John. You, you've been begging to ask this question of both Tori and Sean. Take it away. Uh-huh. Well, this will come as a surprise, I'm sure. What's your favorite Wall Street movie? And why? Sean, and you go why? first. John yeah, first. I'll go first. Um, I like trading places. I'm all about optionality. So trading places is both a Wall Street movie and a holiday movie. So you can kind of sneak on your family if you're ever mm. jonesing for a Wall Street flick uh, during the holiday season. So I, I like that aspect of it. And then the second part I like is that it kind of makes investing intuitive and accessible because at the end of the day, like what we're betting on is things that are somewhat tangible like yesterday securitized but like in the movie they bet on uh pork belly futures because he thinks that people are gonna eat more bacon uh during the holiday season so mm-hmm. i like that aspect of it it was an epic movie i have to say i love that one all right tori tori he's he's he said a hard uh, yeah hard you you had some really good reasons yeah, so yeah. mine I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but I think American Psycho is probably my favorite. Oh, that's a good It certainly, it yeah. certainly is. Um, um, I really want to hear why, though. It's revealing yeah. about your psychological uh, profile. Yeah. But, so I have five yeah. reasons. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so entertaining, and the end is great. I think so. It's just a, it's a really good movie. Especially the point where he's running around with a with a chainsaw, hacking people up. That was a. I love that part. I like when he's looking in the mirror, (laughs) pumping himself up. I can just imagine Sean doing that before work every morning. (laughs) (laughs) You're min quantity, min quantity. (laughs) Comparing your your (laughs) to American Psycho. That's great. Tori, between Jr. and Ronan, who's more likely to get a reservation at Dorcia? (laughs) <laughs> they are <laughs> naturally yeah, there you go Ouch. It's like competition yeah. Yeah. it's done there's no competition there mm. and <laughs> even though you are iex employees and we 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 i guess fill you guys with swag on a monthly basis you guys are going to get your very own pair of buckles and line socks, socks go John. yes you put but them on your be very special socks because they are mementos for appearing on our podcast and thank you very much for appearing on our yeah, podcast. Wait. You guys did yeah, thanks a phenomenal job. Thanks for having us. This was fun. We got to get more IXers like in here. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and, well, and listeners, we've been drinking the entire. T- well, three of us have. Don't don't tarnish me with your. One of these kids your, is not like the yeah. other. All right. All right. Well, um, thank you guys. I hope everybody enjoyed Min Quantity. If you didn't, I don't know what to tell you. Read have it. a great day. <laughs> we did. <laughs> Over and out, everyone. Win. Goodbye. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group, Inc. and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversations may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group, Inc., all rights reserved.